All right, our passage this morning is 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. And I'll start off by reading our passage. It says, After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he, had, when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you, who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him that I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers." So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go, execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head. For uh, for, uh, your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so this is an interesting start to the the, the second part of uh, the book of Samuel. And the reason why I say the second part of it is originally uh, Samuel was one book. That's why it it flows so seamlessly from uh, 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel. Um, it was throughout church history. At some point, it was broken into two different letters, and um, that's that's the great thing about it. It was one letter, and it flows really well from from one book to the next. So we're picking up right where we left off last week with the death of Saul in battle. But before I get into the text, I, I kind of want to introduce what we're going to be talking about, and it's it's something that we've talked about throughout this letter. Uh, are throughout, yeah, throughout 1 Samuel, and then we're going to continue with 2 Samuel. But it, it has been said that life is like a box of chocolates, right? We've all heard that, right? We know exactly where that come from, comes from. You never know what you're going to get. But uh, I'd like to argue against that because if you have a box of chocolates, and if you look either on the, on the bottom of the box or if you look inside the box, there's a diagram that tells you exactly what kind of candy you can get, right? And if you follow that diagram, you can pick out exactly what you want, right? Maybe that wasn't available in Forrest Gump's day, but it is available to us today when we get a box of chocolates. So we know exactly what we're going to get. 
That reminds me of the word of God. The Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Um, that means through the word of God, he guides us and then he also guards us. And that is a, that is a wonderful thing for us as believers. But also by his word, he executes his providence upon creation. And whenever we see the Lord execute his providence, um, it, it brings about humbleness and encouragement. So in other words, we are humbled and we are encouraged by the works of God's providence. When I speak of God's providence, I speak of how he governs his creation, how he interacts with it. And that is a theme that we have heard so far throughout 1 Samuel. I, I lost count how many sermons I've, I've preached on his providence. And you know what? I'm okay with continuing to preach on his providence because do you know what happens after we hear a sermon about his providence and then we leave and then some kind of difficult circumstances comes into our life? We start wondering, why is this happening to me? Even though we've heard the preacher say, it's happening because it is part of God's providence for your life and there is a purpose for it. Right. So as believers, and I'm including myself in this, we need to be reminded all the time about God's providence. Well, if, if you look at, at these two uh, letters or these two books combined together, the, the thin red line throughout is the, the eternal king of glory. This is showing the Lord as the eternal king of glory. Even though this book is about Saul and him being the first king of Israel, then it, it's about, well, really it's about Samuel, then Saul, and then it's about David. Um, what it's really pointing to is Christ as the eternal king of glory. He is the one and true king of creation. And so if the book is going to be talking about the eternal king of glory, then by default, we're going to be talking about providence a lot. And in our passage today, there are two aspects of his providence that are front and center. The very first one is how the Lord directs our steps. That's, that's number one. And then number two is the Lord's will shall stand. All right. The Lord directs our steps and the Lord's will shall stand. Uh, we forget these two things often, or we try to forget these two things often, or we try to run from them uh, whenever something happens. But these two principles are still true for us today because God does not change. He is who he is. And so we can look at a New Testament letter, we can look at an Old Testament letter, and it's still, it, it's still true of who God is today. So as we read our passage uh, let's focus on those two aspects of his providence, that, that he directs our steps and that his will stands no matter what. So the very first one, the Lord directs our steps. I, I want to point your attention to just verse one. Just, just, let's just start there. And then the other point is going to take up the rest of our passage. But when you look at verse one, um, you, see, you see David there waiting in Ziklag and then you see this young man traveling and David seeing him and that's where our, our, our setting takes place um, right there and then uh, we see uh, the opening scene uh, David's back where he started after he left the Philistine army because if you go back to chapter 29 of first Samuel you see that David was going to go and fight with the Philistines but at the last minute, 
the Philistine lords saw David and they were concerned. And they told King Achish, who was the Philistine king, what is he doing here? King Achish said, well, he's my servant. He's my bodyguard, my personal bodyguard. He's going to go and fight against his own nation. And the Philistine lords were like, no way. No, he's not going to fight against our nation. Uh, in fact, he needs to leave right now because we believe that he is going to turn on us in the midst of battle and start killing our people and side with uh, the Israelites. So they, King Achish has to let uh, David go. So David returns peacefully to Ziklag. And then we see in chapter 30 that when David returned to Ziklag, the town where, where he was staying in Philistine, in, in Philistine territory, well, we see that when he returned, it was burned down and all the families were kidnapped by the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the enemies of the Philistines and also the enemies of the Israelites. But David had been raiding the, the land of the Amalekites, killing, them, killing everybody and taking their spoil and saying that he had been doing that to the Israelites. That's how he fooled King Achish. Well, finally, the Amalekites saw, they, they saw their opportunity. They came when David and his 600 men were gone, and they burned everything, and they took all their families. Now, this is where we see David, from a spiritual sense, hit rock bottom. Uh, this was a very trying time for David because not only was his family gone because they were kidnapped, his wives and his kids, but also uh, because the people had turned against him. And they wanted to stone him because they blamed him for all their families being kidnapped and for the whole town being burned down or the village being burned down. So it was in the midst of this trying time that we see David hit rock bottom. He repents of his sin and he repents of his unbelief. And then he returns to the Lord, so to speak. And he gains he gains strength from the Lord. The first thing he does is he goes and he grabs the Lord's uh, high priest and he says, bring the word of the Lord to me. I have a question for him. And he asks the Lord, should I pursue? And the Lord says, yes, you should surely pursue. Will I overtake? Yes, you will overtake. And then we see David listen to the Lord no matter what happens to him. Even after his men start dropping off 200 at a time, David just continues to pursue and obey the word of the Lord until he catches up with the Amalekites that took his family and burned down their village. And so when they catch up to them, the Lord fulfills his promise. David is able to uh, strike down all the Amalekites, and then the Lord restores his family to them, to the families to all the soldiers, and then also uh, the possessions are returned back to David and his men. It's a wonderful picture of, of repentance and restoration from the Lord. But I want you to think about that, because now in, in, in verse 1, after the death of Saul, it says here, David had returned from striking down the Amalekites. Um, David, it says, remained there in Ziklag for two days. See, at the same time that David is preoccupied with the Amalekites, well, Israel, the nation of Israel, is going to war. They go to war with the Philistines. And we see that in chapter 31. This is the passage that Pastor Laramie preached on last week. And we see that Israel is defeated. We saw that in uh, chapter 31. And then as I read here between verses 1 through 16, 
we see the devastation that happens to the nation of Israel. So while David is busy, he's preoccupied with the Amalekites. He's going through his own issues. Israel is, goes to war with the Philistines. They are defeated. Saul is killed. Jonathan is killed. And God's judgment upon Saul was complete. This was prophesied. This was going to happen. And now God made it happen. Now David is returned from the Amalekites. He's returned from being preoccupied. And then we see a messenger come to tell David of Saul's death. Now the Bible, the Bible does not tell us of David's plans this whole time. We, we can look at the text, we can see David's character, we can see his behavior, and we can kind of know some things. Like I, me, me personally, I, I, I am convinced that David was not going to fight against the nation of Israel because even though he was there with King Achish, he had not been truthful to him. He was really not an ally of King Achish. He was a spy of Israel, so to speak, within the nation of the Philistines while he lived there in Ziklag. He lied to King Achish the whole time. But the Bible doesn't tell us, oh, well, yeah, David was going to go to war with the Philistines and then he was going to turn on them. The best we get is that the Philistine lords saw David and said, no, no, he is going to turn on us. I think they were pretty wise. But there, the Bible is not specific as to what David's plans were when he went to war in chapter 29. I think we can safely assume that that would have been something David would have done. Or we can safely assume somehow, some way, he would have defended the Israelites because he knew he was going to be king. He was the Lord's anointed who was waiting for Saul to die or for the kingdom to be completely torn from him so that he can assume his position. Perhaps it was David's plan that as the war with the Philistines started, David would start attacking from within while the Israelites were attacking from without. And that would have probably guaranteed a victory for the Israelites. Also, I have this question when I read this text. What was David's initial plan after the Philistines sent him away? David could have thought, oh, when the war starts, yeah, I'll, I'll... do internal damage to the Philistines, the Israelites would do the external damage and we'll just completely destroy them. But the Philistine Lord saw them and said, no, he needs to go. I'm wondering, what was his plan? I wish the Bible would tell us. Like, what was he thinking? Because he went all the way back to Ziklag, which was a three-day journey from where the Philistines were. Did he go back to reload did he go back to uh, what did he go back to go do was he just going to go back and and not do anything at all just let the battle happen I don't know it's very hard it's very hard to determine because again the Bible is quiet when it comes to his plan we'll never know we'll never know because when David arrived at Ziklag His family was gone. They had been kidnapped. And the town had been burned by the Amalekites. 
So whatever David was thinking, we'll never know because as soon as he got home, he was preoccupied with something else. There was something else that was troubling him. God allowed something else to come into his life to pull him away from the battle with the Philistines. That no longer became a concern of his because God took away his family and that was more of a primary concern at the time for David than the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And David's pursuance of the Amalekites to retrieve his family and the families of of his men kept David from that battle. I, I just think that's really interesting, especially when you start talking about how God directs our steps. Because whatever plans David had about what he would do when, uh, when, he, when he would get back home or what he was planning to do at some point in time, well, all that went out the window by the sovereign hand of God. It wasn't by chance. I don't know what David thought in the moment, but it wasn't by chance. And sometimes we think things happen by chance. And what we have to realize is that nothing happens by chance. There is someone who is directing our steps. And if it's not us, if it's not us, then who is it? Well, it's the only one who has the power, the authority, and the ability to direct the steps of all his creatures. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I want us to think about this for a moment because when something unfavorable is happening to us, the first thing we want to know is why. And that is a great question. Why? Why is this happening? What have I done? How can I change this? What's going on? Like these are all common questions that we ask whenever something unfavorable is happening to us. I can imagine when David arrived, he had just maybe had this plan in place to help Israel. He's rejected by the Philistine kings. He has to travel three days home. He gets home. His town is destroyed. His family is gone. His people want to stone him. And he's thinking, why? What have I done? Why is this happening to me? David's just like us. That's how I know what he's thinking. You and I have been in similar situations where it feels like this life is beating us up. And we're thinking, I I can't take anymore. Uh, I I can't go another day. Uh, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? And then, Question turns into anger because we get angry because we want answers, right? We want answers. We want to know why, how, what, when, where. We want to know all of these things. And the answer is, who knows? Who knows? That's what's so frustrating about it. Who knows? And guess what? Some of you are stuck here. Some of you are stuck here on why, what, when, where, who. It's not fair. 
When is it going to stop? You're stuck there. And until you come to realize that it is by the providence of God, it is by the hand of God that you are suffering what you are suffering. And once you, until you come to realize that it is by his hand and that you can trust his hand no matter what is happening to you, I believe you are going to continue to be stuck there. And while you are there, you are going to be miserable. You are going to be angry. You are going to be whatever negative thing I can put in there. Can't think of the word right now. But that's going to be you. You're not going to be happy. Not going to have joy. You're not going to have contentment. Because you're always wondering why this is not fair. When is this going to stop? See, the answer is, who knows? But God knows. And that's all that matters. I can't answer those questions for you. You can't answer those questions for yourself. The wisest person you know in your life cannot answer those questions. Only God knows. David's life and the kingdom was spared by God's providential hand by keeping David busy with the Amalekites. And it sounds funny that I say that the kingdom of Israel was spared because he kept David busy. Imagine if David was allowed to go and fight. Like I said, chances would have been better that they would have survived. We can talk about all the stuff, the hypothetical stuff that could happen, but we have to face what happened. David wasn't allowed to go to the battle. He was kept busy by God with a whole other set of troubles. Christian, as for you, I tell you, trust the providence of God. Since you know that his purpose works all things for his glory and for your good, then you can trust his providence. Hey, I'm all for you asking questions. I'm all for you saying, asking God, why? I'm all for you saying, how do I get out of this? Even why, you know, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to them? How long is this going to take? That is good for you to ask those questions, and it's good for you to be praying about that. But do not get stuck there. Do not stay there and say, well, I'm going to... I'm just going to sit here until God answers me and I'm going to be angry until then. That is not where you should be. That is not the attitude that you should have in it because if that is your attitude, then you are not seeing the Lord as sovereign. Trusting his providence, we know, leads us to contentment. And then the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't get to contentment without trusting his providence. You don't get to contentment contentment without knowing his purpose. Yes, you may have all kinds of plans for your life. I do too. I have all kinds of plans. I remember when I was younger, I had even more plans 
All you have to say is, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And I was ready. I was like, okay, I want to do this. This is my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 15-year plan. I was ready to go. I, I like plans. But every single plan I made, it didn't go my way. And praise God for that. Because when I'm going through it, or when I was going through it, you're like, why can't anything ever work out the way I want it to? And then after you're done going through it, you're like, I'm so grateful things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. So you may have all kinds of plans for your life, but if you belong to the Lord, you must realize that his plans are better. He will direct your steps according to his plan, and his plan is the master plan. Your plan, if it aligns with his plan, will come to pass. Whatever doesn't align with his plan, it will not. That's why he is the Lord, and we are his creation. So that's, that's one thing, that's verse 1, but let's uh, look at the rest of this passage to see the second point of his providence, and that is, the will of the Lord shall stand. Um, in verse 2, it says, a man came from Saul's camp, and right away, it, it doesn't look good, because this guy comes and his clothes are torn, and there's dirt on his head. So this man, is, he's all disheveled, his, his clothes are torn, he's coming from the battle, and uh, he came to David, and he fell to the ground and paid homage, it says in verse 2. So the fact the way he looks, that he lo- the way this man looks, the way he looks, and that he came from Saul's camp with his uh, clothes torn and dirt on his head, it was not a good sign for David. Verse 3, David says to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. David's concerned. Right? Because that, that might have been in the back of his mind the whole time. It seems like he's very concerned. He wants to hear news about how it went with the Israelites. Uh, David didn't have Yahoo. He didn't have anything where he could just look up on his, on his phone and get the news and, and, and you know, know what, the, what the conclusion was. So David wants to know. He says, tell me. And then the young man answered him. The people fled from the battle. Not good. Not good at all. And also, many of the people have fallen and are dead. Now, mind you, this is David's kingdom that this young man is talking about. He knows it. And mind you, he hasn't been fulfilling his role as the Lord's anointed. In fact, we talked about how he was disheartened and he ran away because he got tired of Saul chasing after him. He was tired of hiding. And he went to the land of the Philistines and he was living there for over a year. So as the news comes, the people fled, the people uh, uh, and, and many have fallen and, and some are dead. I can imagine David just taking that in and saying, that's my fault. That's my fault. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. See, the impact of this young man's statement can be felt as you read it. 
I bet it hit David like a ton of bricks. Not only was Saul dead, but David's best friend and closest ally was gone too. Jonathan was dead. Jonathan was like a brother to him. And even though David knew that this would happen to Saul because he, he revealed that, he knew he was going to be king one day. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He didn't know it was going to happen that day, so it still just hit him. And look at verse 5. Then David said to the young man, who told you? It's like he can't believe it. Like, no, no, that can't be true. There's no way Israel has fallen. There's no way that both David and, and our, our Saul and Jonathan are dead. There's no way that, that all these people were massacred. There's no way. Who told you? Where did you hear this news? In fact, see, that's the first statement of fake news right there in the Bible. That's basically what he's asking. Is this fake news or not? How do you know? How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? The young man, he confirmed their death by his own eyewitness account. And he had he had evidence. He had evidence. So first thing, look at verse six. He has a report of a personal sighting. And the young man who told him said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Geboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. He says, I saw Saul. He was, he was struck. And the enemies were coming in. He wasn't, he wasn't going to make it. I'm standing before you because I'm the one who saw him. Number two, he had a report of a conversation with the king. Look at verses 7 through the first part of 10. And when he looked behind him, he's talking about Saul. He saw me, the young man said. And he called to me and I answered, here I am. So there's a conversation. Not only did he see this, but he's having a conversation with Saul and he says in verse 8, And Saul said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. Then verse 10, So I stood beside him, and I killed him, because I was sure that he would not live after he had fallen. So the guy tells him, yeah, I had a conversation with him. He was near death. The Philistines were closing in on him. And he looked at me and he begged me to kill him because he knew his time had come. And I did it. I'm the one who killed him. And then the third thing, he had a token from, from, king, uh, from Saul's uh, king, or excuse me, from King Saul's own possession Got tongue twisted there. Uh, he had a token from the king's own person. Uh, look at the second part of 10, of verse 10. He says, and I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then look at verses 11 through 12. Then David he took hold of his clothes. He tore them. It's a sign of... It's a sign of 
great mourning, tore his clothes. And all the men that were with him did the same. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. It was like grief upon grief upon grief upon grief. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there. That is a hard place to be. That is a hard place to be because it's just one thing after another and you're just like, oh my goodness, when is this going to stop? Does the Lord hate me? Really, does he? Is the Lord not here? Grief upon grief upon grief upon grief. And for David and his men, it's just, they're just mourning. They're shredded. They don't, they don't know what else to do. See, with this eyewitness account and the evidence that the young man had, David had to accept this news and it broke him. Then we see in the remaining verses of our passage, which is verses 13 through 16, that the young man, the Amalekite, was killed because of his sin. And yes, he did commit a sin by killing King Saul. See, as a sojourner, the Amalekite was subject to the laws of Israel. That's what the law of Israel said. He killed the Lord's anointed. He killed the Lord's king. Therefore, he would receive a death sentence. That's why David didn't want to touch the Lord's anointed, even when he could, when Saul was completely vulnerable to him. And he cut off his robe and the, the spirit, it cut him to the heart. He says, what am I doing? I cannot, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Because he knew if he killed Saul, he must be killed. This Amalekite had broken the law of God. And the consequence for breaking that law was clear. It was a death sentence. He obviously thought he was doing something good because he thought, well, this guy's been chasing, maybe he thought this guy's been chasing David this whole time. David's going to reward me because I have, I have his crown, I have his armlet. I killed him, and he's going to give me a place of honor. David stayed true to the law of God. And saw this as a wicked thing in the eyes of God. And he executed him. Now, when we read this, this passage from verse, uh, from verse 2 onward to verse 16, when it comes to the providence of the Lord, the verse that stands out the most as, as, we, as we read this is verse 10. So I stood beside him, the young man said, and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm. Now listen very carefully. And I have brought them here to my Lord. The young man is before David. He tells him the story. And I can see it in my head right now. As he's telling him the story and he's coming uh, to, to, to this, pa this part of the passage. I can just see it in my head where he's 
handing over the crown and the armlet to David. It's like, I, I was there. I spoke to Saul. I'm the one who killed him. And here, king, have your crown and have your armlet. And he, he's, he's handing it over to David as he's speaking. To me, that's fascinating because I'm wondering what David is thinking. David had been on the run for years from Saul. In fact, that's why David was in Philistine territory. That's why he was in Ziklag. He said, Saul's never going to stop chasing me. And even though he knew he was going to be king, he still wondered when. When is this all going to end? When will I not have to fear for my own life? God, the promises you have made me, when are they going to come to pass? And I'm just wondering what he's thinking whenever his hands touch the crown and touch the armlet that have been promised to him. I'm willing to bet that that was a surreal moment for David. Because on one hand, he's mourning that, that Saul and Jonathan are dead. But on the other hand, he had to have been rejoicing that finally this, this, this wonderful promise that God had given him was coming to pass. I try to relate that, uh, relate that like personally, and I'm thinking, have I ever had a moment like that? And, and yes, I, I've had a moment, not, maybe not as dramatic as this, but I've, I've had several moments like that, and they involve ministry. I was thinking on my walk this morning, I remember in 2008, I remember standing before the Lord's people up here in this pulpit, Father's Day 2008. And before I even got up here, I was sitting there listening to our pastor preach his last sermon here. And I listened and, and, and all along I knew our pastor had already talked to me. The church had already agreed upon it. I had prayed about it. I had knew that I was going to be the interim pastor. I already knew that. And I was sitting there listening to him. I was crying like everybody else because I was going to miss him. This was his last sermon. And then when he was done, he looked at me and he said, well, I guess that is it for me. I'm going to call. And this is the first time he called me this. He says, I'm going to call Pastor Ricky up here. And as I walked up here, I was like, wait a second. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Why me? The, the, the weight of that moment. Because when I became a Christian, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. It was one moment at a time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to teach children. God has given me a desire to preach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach youth. I'm going to help our pastor by preaching once a month. Oh, here. Here's the church. You are now the under shepherd of the church. And that moment just just came and hit me. And I stood before everybody. Outwardly, I was I think I was calm. Inwardly, I was screaming. I was fearful. It's like your life flashes before your eyes. And you never think that moment's going to happen 
and then it's happening. That's what I sense when David is given the crown and the armlet. It's for you. Maybe it's the day that you became a parent. Maybe it's the day that you became a grandparent. Maybe it's the day that you became a husband, a father. It's, it's an important moment in your life that makes you stop and think, how did I get here? I don't deserve this. What a blessing. How am I going to do this? I can't do this on my own. We see that this whole thing was put into motion earlier in 1 Samuel. When Saul had sinned against the Lord, the Lord's prophecy came to him through Samuel. All the way, I'm talking back all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is what the prophecy was against Saul. And this is where it all started for David. The Lord said to Saul, for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And here comes David and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Thing was, though, Saul never just said, oh, David, you're, you're the Lord's anointed. Here, here's the crown. Here's the armlet. It's your kingdom. I'll pray for you. I'll see you later. That never happened. Instead, Saul said, over my dead body. You or the Lord will not take this from me. It is mine. It will be my son's. It will be my son's son. It will go on and on and on. This kingdom is mine. But the word of the Lord had spoken. Therefore, the will of God would stand. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, what God had determined to be or what God has determined to be is what will be because no man can undo what God has done. It all depends on his mercy. If you remember when Jonathan and David one of the last times they, they saw each other, Jonathan showed David just this wonderful display of humbleness. He gave him his kingly robe or his, prince, his princely robe. He gave it. He, he took it and gave it to him as a sign of humbleness and, and, and allegiance and reverence towards the Lord. That's what Jonathan did. He says, I know you're going to be king. I know that God has taken the kingdom from my for my father. So, so here, I'm handing it to you. King Saul did the opposite. He said, over my dead body, 
will you be king? Well, that was right. Because Saul's crown was ripped from him by the Lord and given to David. And that's what we see happening here in verse 10. It's amazing. That one verse. That one, just that one, here you go. Here's the crown, here's the armlet. And there's so much there about God's providence. See, one way or another, the Lord's will shall stand. So, in conclusion, here are some things that that I think will be helpful for you. You are free to have whatever reaction or feelings uh, or feeling you have toward the word of God. You, You are free to have that reaction. In other words, if something unfavorable happens to you, God has given you the opportunity to not be happy with it. He has allowed you to sin in that moment. Not that he's approving of it or he approves of it because the Lord does not approve of sin. But we react to things the way we react to them. We're either reacting to them in the flesh or in the spirit. So our reactions are our reactions. They come from the heart. Our feelings are our feelings. They come from the heart. They're either, we're either receiving the word of God and are happy of it, or we're rejecting it, and, and it brings about anger, it brings about hatred, it brings about discord, it brings about all kind of things that are ungodly. So although we can react the way we want, we must know that we will be judged according to that reaction. God will not let it go by. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, I want to read those to you. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That passage, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it reminds me of what's happening here, with what happened with Saul and David. Saul's like, over my dead body will you get this? Will you take this crown for me? God ripped it from him, gave it to David. The Lord's will shall stand And I look at this here in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, and there's people who live today who have all kind of reaction to God. I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to believe in you. You are not real. You are made up. People are making you up. All this faith stuff is is just, it's it's not real. It's fake. And and people are going to see how fake it is one day. I'll never honor you. I'll never worship you. Well, Philippians 2 Verses 9 through 11, there's a direct prophecy that one day every knee will bow. 
every tongue will confess. See, on the day of his appearing, all will bow the knee and confess that he is Lord. Some who have been waiting for his appearing, some will do it out of reverence and some out of reluctance, but it will happen. Either we'll honor him with our hearts and revere him in confessing and bowing the knee and confessing that he is Lord. Or we're going to be forced to do it because the power of the Almighty will be before us. His kingdom has no end and we have not seen power like his. Everybody will fall to their knees and everybody will confess that Jesus is Lord. As a Christian, you need to be doing that every day. When things aren't going your way, you bow the knee and you confess that he is Lord. Don't run away from your problems. Don't let them just take over you, change you. Problems are yours because the Lord, the Lord's providence has brought them upon you, one way or another. If you're dealing with God's hard hand or his heavy hand at the moment, I, I want to tell you that Christ is your greatest hope. That's it. Christ is your greatest hope. Not, not me, not Pastor Laramie, not, not any of your friends, not any of your family, uh, nothing. Not your home, your car, even your favorite teddy bear, nothing. Christ is your only hope. And I, I, and I, I, I implore you to embrace God's providence as he works all things for his glory and your ultimate good. Pray for understanding. Pray for peace. Pray for patience. Pray for faith. Most of all, pray for hope. Pray for all those things, that as you suffer, God places the hope of the gospel in your heart to help you strive toward what is ahead, knowing that he is directing your steps and that his will shall stand. Let's pray.